You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Do people ever refer to you as a decision-making expert? Me? Yeah. Always. This just happened to me the other day. We were in a big group of friends and somebody sort of turned to me and they said, oh, you're the decision-making expert. What do you think about this? <laughs> yeah. Like, you go, oh, geez, that's a, that's a lofty title. That's a, that's a big title to, uh, to put on somebody. And so I, I thought what I would start doing just to give myself an out is like, if, if somebody's asking me for a recommendation on a stock, I'll just go through and say, well, here's what I think. And this is, let's buy it. That, you know, when it gets to this price and yada, yada, we're going to put this much money in this investment. And then at the end, just go, you know, but I don't know. <laughs> but that's just me, man. That's just me. You know, just absolve myself of any sort of. <laughs> but I don't know, man. But, I, but who knows, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but what if your doctor did that? Yeah, I think you ought to have this surgery, you know, but but I don't know. <laughs> well, here's the thing. People people want advice, right? And so, so when you go to your doctor, your doc, you would be really irritated if your doctor said, I mean, you got a couple options here. <laughs> what do you mean? I got it. What? Tell me which one. Oh, I, I got that. I got that here. advice early on in my career. There was a manager who said, "Oh, you always want to give, you know, pe- people who hire give your clients, you know, three choices to choose from." Hell and, no. And I was like, "No, that sounds no, 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 horrible. No, no, no. That's people not want, what people want." Because here's the thing: if you give them one choice, you actually give them two because they got to decide. Do it or don't. Do, do it, it or don't. Right. Yeah. No. 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 Don't give them three. That's oh, way too many. People don't want that many decisions. People want like a, a true advisor's role and a true expert's role is to help someone limit the amount of decisions that they have to make. Yes. And make those decisions more smooth, the decision-making process smoother, not necessarily quicker, but smoother. Less, oh, I was, less I was certainty, right? So if you're a grief expert, people go, even though um, you might not be a grief expert, um, in the like one-on-one advice role, people are going, well, I'm going to read this book on grief and, and I can learn mm-hmm. a little bit more about making smoother decisions. And, and hopefully if you there, I'll learn some things to not do, right? If you're a realtor, well, you, you're helping people look at a bunch of houses. Hopefully you better be knocking houses off the list. Don't just send them 50 and help them sift through it. The amount of people that I've fired, like, Companies that I had hired to do a job and then fired because they were making decisions more difficult for me is probably 90% of why I've every company that I've ever fired is because they made decisions harder. Yeah. Uh, I hired a marketing company and they would always send me pictures like, which ones do you like? I don't know, man. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think a lot of marketing. I think guy. a lot of companies get sucked into that, feeling like they have to give you know thirty-one flavors, and you know, and they and most people don't want that. They just want a couple. You know, give me a couple choices and tell me what you recommend. Also, you yeah. ever you ever go to a restaurant and and you ask the the uh, the server, hey, you know what, you know what's this or you know what 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 do y'all do well here or what's your when you they know, don't know and they don't leave. know or they say it's all good. That's uh, telling you that's, it's that's none of it's good. It's all bad. It's none of it's good. It's all maybe average. Right. I, my, uh, for the past almost year, I don't think that I've read a menu. I'll go to the restaurant and I go, this guy's going to know. This chick is serving me. She's going to know. And I, I'll, maybe I'll ask a couple questions, but generally speaking, I go, what's your favorite thing? Uh-huh. And if they go, Oh, it's the fajitas. I don't eat here. I, I, <laughs> I go, if they go, it's the fajitas. I go, d- boom, done, easy. You're telling me right. that's a favorite. You've, probably, you've tried more than me. I'm getting it. And you're right. If they make that harder for me by either, oh, well, I just started. It's all good. Or it's yeah. all good. Ugh, that's the worst. But I'm not looking at the menu. I'm saying, what? what's your favorite thing? Now, if they don't look like how I want to look. Oh, Yeah. Then yeah. I take that into yeah. account, right? If 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 they're saying, well, I you know I love the captain's platter because it's got a little bit of everything on I it. I might yeah. say, you will know. I might maybe say, not, you know. so what's your favorite thing when it's snack time? <laughs> if you wanted to eat healthy, what would you? Yeah, order? what would you do? Yeah, that's what I'll, I'll. So so last night I was having dinner somewhere in Dallas. I'm like, all right, there's too many things on the menu. Uh, hey man, what's your favorite? And I was feeling, I was feeling like a you know dirty meal. 
Okay. And, and, a cheat and meal, so to speak. A cheat meal. Yeah. And right. my waiter, he he looked like he, you know. That he knew what a cheat meal would look like. He knew what that was, what I was after. Was he doing nothing I but said, cheat meals? I said, what's your favorite thing, man? And he brought me this, like, fried chicken, French fry, mashed potato plate, and it was pretty sweet. <laughs> so that's the, that that's what people want. People want, when they're going through transition, when they're making decisions, they want to have fewer options. And one of the areas of life where that's really difficult is in the grieving process. So today, our guest, Amber Jeffrey, is an expert in, maybe in the same way that we're decision-making experts, right. an expert on accident, an expert in grief. She's yeah, she host, did fall into that. Yeah. She's the host of the podcast and online community, The Grief Gang, which specializes in grief one conversation at a time by sharing her own experiences of loss as well as the stories of others on her show and online platform. She's gone on to deliver talks and panel discussions at the University of Cambridge in Westminster and is now working closely with Oxford University to train psychologists on how to support bereaved clients in their clinical work. She's on a mission to get people comfortable with talking about death, dying, and grief, which is what we spent the hour talking about today. We talked about making decisions when emotions run high immediately after death, feeling stuck in your grief like it will never leave, the difference and decision between moving on versus moving forward from death and befriending your grief, recognizing that it will never leave and how to live a life with that grief that will be lifelong. We covered a lot. I don't have a personal experience with grief, certainly not in the way that Amber does, but I still learned a lot and I felt like we connected. She had a lot of decision-making wisdom to share. So whether or not you've experienced grief recently, ever or never, there is something for you in this conversation. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Hey, Amber. Hello. Hello, Amber. How are you? I've got to apologize. You're the first British person that I've had any interaction with since the USA-England game. Oh, damn! the World Cup. One to one. It's called soccer, baby. God bless America. Oh, here you go. Here you go. God, as uh, if, as if, do you know, I could just leave this call right now. I'll leave it right now. She's going to bail on us right uh, out of the yeah. game. You know what? I don't yeah. normally care for football, but I've been loving the social media and it's like, you know, to give it to America, you know, you think, you know, we can, we can believe and we can win it. And it's like, where's your strategy guys? You know, <laughs> right now we're undefeated. So yeah, um, all right. We'll see how long we'll it see. lasts. We'll see how it goes. Oh, so I'm gonna get the wrath of your of your of your high from Friday. Yeah, thank you. I I'm, I was riding that as soon as the game started. Uh, I was watching with my sister and her husband, and we stood up in unison and sang the national anthem. Jeez. <laughs> Really before the game or after? Before the game. Before the game. Okay. Before the game. I, I saw a video the other day. This uh, this guy had his girlfriend over for dinner with the family uh, Thanksgiving for the first yeah. time she had eaten, and they decided they were gonna prank her. And they all stood up and did the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, uh, like it was just yeah, like, like it was, nor- and then just sat down and never talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. Yeah, oh, that's a weird that's thing. Funny. I don't know if I don't know if what y'all have in uh, in England, but every day we make school children around this country stand up and pledge allegiance to the flag. Every like, every day it to the flag. Very every every morning. Every morning. Oh no, no, none of and, that. Yeah, depends where. Depends what school, but no, trying to get any of these British kids to do anything by hook or by crook, you'd, you'd, uh, you know, we're a bit of a rowdy bunch over here. <laughs> so, so, Amber, tell me a little bit about how you got into uh, doing work around grief. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So my podcast, it's called uh, the Grief Gang Podcast. And it all started, and, and even for where it's gone today, just all totally on a whim. Um, none, none of this was ever in the plan and I suppose that's sometimes the best things in life but it all uh, to go right back to the beginning of my story 
we're going back to 2016 in, in the June and I was 19 at the time and my mother who was 51 had suddenly been admitted into hospital with um, a heart attack and to cardiac arrest and it was the most chaotic 24 hours of our life she she was brought into the hospital very unstable and within 24 hours deteriorated well inclined got better and then declined and it was up and down up and down and then the next morning she sadly died to another heart attack and from that point on it was me and my brother my brother who's uh, seven years older than me just catapulted into this world of grief and navigating a world without a mother and it was you know 19 you're kind of at an age where you think well you're trying to navigate what you want to do in life and where you want to go and you know very coming of age and not only experiencing that but then now losing a really integral person in my life I was like what the fuck am I gonna do now and so just plotted through the next three years of my life just trying to navigate friendships relationships career just everyday life without a mother and I very much suppressed my grief and I was amongst my peer groups very much like an alien, didn't really know, have anybody else in my life who had experienced um, a really significant and immediate bereavement to them. So I really felt like one of one in my everyday life. And it came to the summer of 2019 when uh, my mental health took a really, a really a bad turn and it was quite a scary place for me because I'm quite, I like to have a laugh, I like to brush things off very you know just that dark humor British culture and kind of this summer I realized something's not right and I really didn't feel well mentally and so I decided to go down I feel like what we are conditioned to do uh, to go down the therapy route and kind of the counseling route as kind of when you don't feel well in your mind you go to counseling or a therapist and where's that always funny I saw something before it said you know New Yorkers if anyone's in New Yorker listening you know the people they count as important in their life is their friends their family and their therapists and it's like so but here in the UK it, it's kind of a different attitude I feel anyway and I felt a really weird thing about actually going to therapy and I felt that it was quite a weak thing to do obviously do not believe that now but at the time I was then 22 at the time just turned 22 so I I, I went down the the journey of trying to find a therapist and a counsellor and I um I was paired with one online I really did want to have face-to-face I'm quite a face-to-face person and I couldn't and it was just that was by hook by crook it wasn't happening so I turned online to find an online therapist and I was paired up And long story short, it was very cold interaction. It wasn't what I needed. And I felt like I just took 10 steps back. Um, But I felt a little bit stronger in the fact of that I knew I could ask for help and it was out there. But that wasn't the kind of help that I was needing then and there. And so about a month later, I really just started wanting to find other people mostly in my age group but just anybody who understood what was going on in my head and my heart and I wish there was so much more like a more strategic version as to how the podcast started but it was honestly just me and my partner we were on holiday in Morocco with a bad case of like food poisoning sat around the sunbeds and I was listening to these other like grief podcasts and I kind of like found this world of grief podcasting and I was listening and I was like absorbing it all and I was like holy shit there's a whole community out here but I was just like there's just something's not hitting for me like something's not speaking to me and just like that I just turned to my partner and I said fuck it I'll do it I'll start the podcast and he was like what? And it was all in a matter of about two days. This holiday was quick and it was sweet and we were gone. And by the time we'd flown out of London and got back to London, I had this whole yeah. idea of like, I'm going to start a podcast. And so we hit the ground running back in the UK. And I just thought, what am I going to call it? And I thought, well, I'll call it the grief gang because it's a gang that nobody wants to be a part of. You, When somebody dies in your life, you just sadly become part of this gang. You might not like anybody in it or the fact you're in it, but you're part of it now. And so I just created a couple of social media accounts and Instagram and just started sharing my story from A to Z and just 
started unearthing all of the thoughts and the feelings I had had for the past three years. And for me, that was like my therapy, just speaking into the abyss, into this very mic. I've not changed my mic in three years um, and just telling my story. And little by little, people started tuning in and they were like, I really resonate with what you're saying or you're not alone in that and became obsessed with it, meeting people from across the UK and then across the world, interviewing them, sharing their stories, because I quickly learned that not only me sharing my story was really important, but sharing other people from other walks of life and losses as well was really integral too, because grief is so nuanced and it's so layered. And though I have lost a mother, I can learn so much from somebody who has lost a child or a sibling or a partner. Um, we all have very yeah. different experiences in it, but how we cope is sometimes very similar. Um, and so yeah, I've got friends from all, all different losses and they think, how do you connect with that person? I just go, it's grief, honey. We all connect on this weird trauma bonding level, but it works. And um, yeah, by, so that was 20, 2019 and then into 2020 and as we know in, in the March of 2020 we hit a global pandemic and we were all forced online and I, I at my time my, my current work I was on furlough so I didn't have to work for six months and still got paid best six months of my life and I thought okay I can dedicate yeah, to this podcast yeah it was pretty good it was pretty good time yeah. <laughs> and um I dedicated to this page in this podcast and I just wrote um, my heart away and podcasts, just whatever came to me. There's nothing about the podcast, like as the years have gone by of kind of, there's always strategy to things of what you want to talk about. But the crux of it is it really is just me like sitting in my bedroom talking about grief and just what's going on and just having that really conversational um the, my biggest goal for the podcast when anybody listens it feels like you're just sitting and talking with a friend and you're putting all the world's wrongs to rights um and a problem shared is a problem halved in my eyes and it's where it's it's got me to today what started out as a very uh just like something for me to help me and still does help me um ended up helping and still does quite a lot of people and it's the biggest blessing and achievement of my life today um and i've been such so, so blessed and and so fortunate to have different opportunities come into my life whether it, it was tv radio or just even job opportunities yeah. to be able to um like globally one talk about my mum and talk about the most one of the most amazing people who ever graced my life and brought me into this world to have the chance to do that time and time again um whilst also helping people as well just like it's wild what a cool way to carry on her legacy mm. you know that's incredible mm. and that speaks to me a lot what motivated you to start the podcast that's what motivated us to start decidedly is you know, we're not, we don't have any sort of grand ambition. Mm. Hopefully we can get better. And if we can get better, then that was worth it. And, mm -hmm. and I'll tell, I tell people a lot who are kind of thinking about having a podcast or maybe they're going to start one. I said, if nobody ever listened to this, I'd still keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I get to learn from people like you who, who had to make important decisions. Um, they get to talk through decisions that I'm making um, and I I'm, I'm, imagine that that is what your experience is like, you know, you totally geez, just talking about it is therapeutic. What did you notice was the biggest change in how you processed grief between who you were before you started the podcast and who you are now three years into it? Oh, my gosh. Worlds apart. Um even just from from the time of when my mum died and those those three years between mum dying and me starting the podcast, there was a lot of anger in my life and, and within me. I couldn't um, express myself without it coming out in anger and just telling everybody to fuck off and to leave me alone and get out of my life when actually deep inside. What did that anger was, look like? Oh, that anger looked like exactly that, telling people to fuck off to their face yeah. <laughs> and to quite literally cutting them out of my life. And th these were people who I had grown up with, who I was tighter than tight with, who loved me and who cared for me. But yeah. because I couldn't say I am so deeply hurting inside because 
I'm not actually really angry at you. I'm not really angry at this person or this really feeble situation. I'm really yeah. angry at my mum dying. And there's yeah. actually How no can I answer let to else it. Try to even love me. Yeah. Exactly. I wanted it's like I didn't want people to go through what I was going through and lose, you know, someone really important to them at all. But I wanted yeah. somebody to understand this deep deep pain that I was carrying with me every day when I was going to work when I was going out with friends I would still have all these really joyous experiences in my life but there was just always this deep like heavy rucksack of grief so from there to Mm. starting the podcast and meeting people and having these conversations like you know, as you said, if nobody listened to the podcast, I really wouldn't mind because I still get to have these really great conversations with people that I've handpicked. And I'm like, I want to know your story and I just want to talk to you. That's all I want to do. I want to talk to you. And yeah. from learning from people and how they cope and how they don't and how their grief has shaped them has given me the language and the tools to be able to express myself a lot better and when and that's not to say that i don't feel anger uh much anymore like or at all anymore it's still there but i'm just a lot better at articulating it and not um rage balling at everybody so to say so yeah the the podcast and just the community itself has vastly helped me to articulate my grief for sure that's something interesting about how what you did was you cast people away from your life Mm. and made them feel like you don't want to have anything to do with Mm. them and a therapist told me once the way that we feel the way that other people make us feel is the way that they're feeling right so when people are acting out uh and telling us to screw off and go Mm. away or 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 making us feel jealous or whatever um making us feel worthless it's like that's what they're feeling Projection. Um, that's interesting, yeah. you know, that that's how you were feeling, whether it was, mm. I, I don't want to put words to, to your own emotions. But no, not at that's all. How no, that, that is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it was a total, it was a total projection. As I'm, I don't know if you caught when I said it, just kind of the anger was, I wasn't angry at oh, yeah, all these people. And like, you know, I was really cutting off people left, right, and center for the most silliest of things when actually I wasn't angry at them at all. I was just so upset and just so deeply angry angry at the universe at the world for taking my mum away when I was 19 years old and she was 51 it just felt like such an injustice and that we had been done so dirty by the world um and it's only yeah through the podcast that I've learned to I've learned what that actually was and actually naming it and and being accountable to myself actually I think for a long time I uh I almost justified my actions to people and to myself um, as well. Yeah, you 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 justify it, and you're like X Y Z. You have to. Other if you don't justify it, you're horrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like you're an evil, evil person. You always have to justify what you're doing. Yeah, you always have to justify. And then kind of, I held my hands up, but I was like. Oh no, even if I just like, okay, I'm justifying it, but I still was a bit of an asshole at some times. And knowing that that I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't ever want to go back to that place. Um, and I, I've learned to forgive myself as well. Gosh, there's so many times of I really said some really hurtful things to people in the name of grief and hurting and actually holding mm-hmm. your hands up and going, you know what, I really messed up there. And although I am deeply hurting and, you know, still was and still am sometimes, um, it's not justifiable for to treat another human being like that in the sake of grief. Um, you can be grieving, but you don't have to be an arsehole. Yeah. See? I've been telling you, <laughs> you know, as, as we've, we've had discussions about that before is that if you, if you don't have an outlet for those emotions, they'll come out anyway and they'll come out sideways. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're not deciding how you're going to process that and have a, mm-hmm. you know, a mechanism and, and people who can help you process that it's going to come out one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. What, what advice do you have for people who, who are going through grief as it relates to decision-making. I would think that dealing with grief 
is going to be one of those really particularly difficult times to make decisions mm. while you're processing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I think with grief, there's just, you, you have decisions from like the get go from when that person dies and when you are not in the right frame of mind, potentially to be holding those decisions, but these decisions need answers and it does not call for indecisiveness at all. So whether that's, you know, does this person want to be buried or cremated? And you think, oh God, well, we've never actually even had that conversation of what they wanted at the end of their life. Or am I going to go, when am I going to go back to work? You know, you have to go back to work, but when, because if you don't go back to work, you won't put food on the table and lose the roof over your head. So then what you're grieving and you're homeless, life still has to move forward. And I think that's one of the most difficult parts in grief is that, you know, your world is collapsing, not just collapsed, it is still collapsing around you as you navigate through this world and you still have to make decisions. But I think one of the biggest decisions, especially in in context of today, of kind of, you know, probably one of the biggest decisions I maybe had to make was, especially with the podcast and, and starting it was, I could either have acknowledge that that summer of 2019 when my mental health and my grief really took me for a ride and kind of I could have laid back and let it go do you know what take me this is me now I'm just going to live in this despair and this depression and just Mm -hmm. this hole of grief or I can find a way to honor my mum because like I said she's one of my favorite people to talk about And I can continue her legacy and just continue honoring her and remembering her in a way. And I don't have to stay stuck. You can feel so stuck and kind of, I don't have to, I've seen it. I've seen it happen with people in my family and other people of, it's a very uh, slippy slope in grief. You can either go and turn this devastating thing that's happened in your life and make a beautiful life out of yours and, and, you know, most people, you know, you go through a loss and you think, you know what, tomorrow's not promised. Let me go and go for that job opportunity. Let me go on that holiday. Let me eat that bloody slice of cake. And some people live, you know, take life by the balls. And some people go the other way and they get eaten up by the bitterness of the injustice of what has happened to them. And this is not me saying to them, like, you know, sack that off and grab life by the balls because. I know how easy it is to slip into that of going, well, actually, and not, I'm not looking at it as a, I don't want to sit here and say looking at it as a glass half full because there's nothing glass half full about someone dying in your life, but looking at it and going, I don't want to live like this forever. I don't want to live yeah. with this grief being this really horrible thing in my life there's more to this grief than just mourning and despair there is laughter there is joy there is dark humor there are revelations in grief like my grief has shaped my relationships with people and the way I navigate through my career tremendously it's given me yeah a little bit of a glass half full kind of aspect because you don't know when the glass is going to tip over unless you done um, what's the worst that can happen? I kind of think of life now. What is the worst that can happen when the worst has already happened to you in a way? And whether that's toxic or good, I don't know. But you do, I think yeah. there is a real big decision of, do I stay stuck in this despair? Or do I try to move forward, not on, because you'll never move on. And there's a very big distinction between moving forward and on from grief. But how do I learn to move forward? Describe describe that difference. So the difference between moving on and moving forward to me is when we're very much told of, you know, I see it all the time in in news and media, whenever there's, you know, a, a public death or whatever it means, you know, moving on. And I think it stems so far back into just how societally we have treated death and dying of it is something you experience. And then after maybe a year or two, if they're gracious, they'll say, "Okay, time to move on now. Time to stop crying yourself to sleep now. Time to stop talking about them for one. Time to stop getting all their photos out at Christmas and Thanksgiving and honoring them. They think it's too much now. You you should have packed this all up now. 
And for some people, it varies. You know, some will give the grace of a year. Some will be like six months. And actually, even in science and academia, in in the last year, there's been this new uh, diagnosis that came out in the uh, DSM-5, which I believe is in in the States. The DSM-5, it's like the the Bible of all diagnoses. And it's um, prolonged grief disorder. And it caused an absolute upheaval in the online community because they very much, we very much feel like this patholo- pathologizing grief of like putting an expiration date on grief. And the, the, the key factors in this diagnosis was, okay, between six months and one year, you should have stopped doing all of this. And it has pros and cons, but it again feeds into the, after this, you should be moving on. But actually, when we change the narrative and we look of, well, actually, even just in the terms of terminology of saying moving forward with it, because when we say that, it's it's allowing and giving people permission to say, it's okay that you're going to live with this thing for the rest of your life and actually acknowledging you will live with this for the rest of your life. But it doesn't have to be this painful thing. It's not only okay, it's inevitable exactly it's inevitable of kind of yeah of just saying like that's kind of what i try to do on the podcast of give those kind of hard truths to people because nobody gave me those hard truths i so wish somebody had said to me amber babe you know you're gonna live with this for the rest of your life right and i would go what what do you mean so in the next year like i'm not gonna and they'd be like no but i would have loved for somebody to have said no, you will still carry this with the rest of your life, but it won't be exactly like how it is right now. When you say to somebody who's grieving, you know, you have this for the rest of your life, it is a never ending project that can feel really mm-hmm. daunting and overwhelming of like, what do you mean? Because to them, grief is this really big, ugly monster that, you know, weighs them to the bed. They can't get through the day without hysterically crying. They can't talk about their person at all. So for them, they think, I can't deal with that for the rest of my life. But actually, when people meet other people and connect and see that, oh, no, grief actually has so many different layers and actually some quite good layers to it as well. In terms of the joyous moments as well, grief and joy can exist together. Um, But yeah, that's for me, the kind of difference of moving on and moving forward is that moving on, I feel like puts a bookend on it and says, right, enough now, pack it up, got to go. Whereas moving forward, it's changing the perspective on it and saying, will move forward with this and you'll have a relationship with your grief. People find that weird and they're like, a relationship with your grief? You're like, yeah, because it's a relationship with your person. Just because your person has died doesn't mean that your relationship dies as well. Like, I feel like I conversate with my mum all the time and I, I now understand things um, years down the line that sh- and decisions that she made as a woman and as a mother that I understand more now than I do at 19 years old because our relationship and our bond still continues. Yeah. I, I really like how you framed the difference between moving on and moving forward. Cause I, I think there's obviously there's steps in the, in the grieving process. You know, one of the things that I deal with when I work with people who have had a loved one who've passed along and as a financial advisor, it's part of the process of dealing with somebody's uh, finances in their life. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I always tell them is, is let's don't make any irrevocable decisions right now. And and so one of the things as it relates to decision making during grief is I always tell them let's don't make any decisions. And, and it seems like there are many times where people want to make a decision. And maybe that's part of the grief process. Maybe that's part of how people process the grief they're going through is they they will call me and say, "All right, we we need to make all these changes. We need to uh close this account. We need to change this ownership. We need to change the beneficiaries." Uh, and it just seems like there's this anxiety around making changes mm-hmm. and making decisions that they that they it don't feel, have to it make. It feels when that happens, it feels like that's an effort to move on. And sometimes that happens like really early on in a mm-hmm. in, in that stage for for what I see also. Um, you know, people will. We're I'm usually one of the first people that gets notified when someone passes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm up there on the list. Yeah. You know, outside of immediate family, sometimes people cry, sometimes not. You know, but they they never are emotional in the way that they would be if they were just calling their friend, right? Yeah. It's like a very professional. No matter how deep our relationship is, people when they cry in front of me, they will apologize. 
they will try to not cry. Oh, I said I wasn't going to cry. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mom yeah. died last Thursday. It's okay, you know? Yeah. Um, but it feels like when they're making those decisions, okay, so let's get to work, right? Because once we're done with this, then then I won't feel this way anymore. Yeah. You, yeah. Th- you think they want to get things done because there's a finality to it? Yeah, that, to, it totally makes sense to yeah. me because, okay, let's, let's just hurry up, you know? Do you find there are decisions that people must make during the grief process? Yeah, so even to touch on of kind of what you were just saying there about, yeah, getting your ducks in a row after somebody has died of, um, I, I can very much relate to that of when, when our mum died, my brother very much took on that role of, okay, what do we need to do logistically? What accounts do we need to close? What accounts do we need to clear? And it was very A, B, C, this needs to be done. And for some people, for them to survive, what they need to do is just be doing something. So, for example, my brother, after all those kind of tasks are done, you know, for some people, it's much more quick. I'm sure, as you know, there can be really long probate and things like that estate. And it can go on for a long period of time. And sometimes these tasks are done very quickly. And in the case of my brother, he, once all those tasks were done, he decided, okay, I'm going to completely renovate the house. So he was like busy for the next year away. So he was very much busy, but then that comes to an end. And it is just to me from what I see is it's a, um, you know, you kind of said of it, you know, them wanting to put a finality on it and put almost like the final, final nail in the coffin, um, for some people, it's just giving them something to do to give a, an element of control back into their life and just get things done and to keep themselves busy. But eventually, as we referred back to a while ago of it will find its way out sideways, whatever way it wants to come out of. But there are there are many decisions that grieving people have to make of kind of and and there's no there's no there's no guide on it as well. I think on. I think in context of people who have who have a partner who dies and there are children in the mix of that, of how do you tell this child that their parent has died without traumatising them, but also being very honest with them that their parent is not coming back. And you as a parent in that moment, you know, am I going to protect my child or am I, but then also is that actually protection and it's kind of you don't have time to yeah, yeah it's almost like you, you think you're protecting the child again I'm just talking like through conversations with many of my friends who have lost partners but in the moment it feels like they're protecting obviously by not maybe divulging or using terminology that is quite final of dad has died mum has died and it means they're not coming back or using language of mummy's gone to heaven or mummy is now sleeping and although you may think that's a very soft way to go and approach it sometimes it can be a bit more damaging and it can leave it very open for like say the child and even kind of general you know even with with us um as adults I feel like we really struggle sometimes with even just saying the word died we often do go to yeah. passed away. I still do as well. I'd be yeah. like, oh, they passed away. Part of being a financial advisor, we talk about estate planning. We talk about final planning and expenses and things like that. It's just part of what you have to discuss. I know exactly what you're going to say. I, I, have, I have noticed that people never say when I die. They, they say, say if, if I, I die. If I die. Yeah. They, people always say, you know, so if I die, blah, 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 blah. They never say when I <laughs> no, die. No, you're going to die, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. This is a part. If I die, you're like, if there is yeah. two, you know, very concrete things in life, death and taxes, you will be taxed and you will die. <laughs> Those are two very yeah. things yeah, in life. There, there's there's such a reluctance to, to face it, I think. There's just such a reluctance to, to deal with it. And, it. and it may be part of the whole taboo topic of grief is that people don't even want to acknowledge that it's going to happen of course because you know, it's so painful seen that? Is, is that there's oh, this difficulty god. oh god yeah you I mean you'd think right that me doing the work that i do and like with my friends that i have and like my my closest nearest and dearest knowing the work that i do that everybody around me is like grief and death literate and we all have like planned our funerals and what we're gonna do when we die blah blah blah. no like my dad still i say to him right dad come on mum died i think it's about time you got your ducks in a row and he's like no 
not talking about it like that is so morbid and it's so interesting that you still think even when you've been touched by grief so he really he doesn't even want to talk about it anymore no no he's just not talk about not talk about mum but talk about the thought of him dying and him leaving us oh Um, okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so for him to get his ducks in a row and sort his estate and his finances it's just a place he doesn't want to go and i totally get why people don't because especially you know if you've got dependencies or just it's a really dark place to go to of thinking oh god yeah what what will what will happen after i die and to all the people obviously they'll be heartbroken too but yeah. i think it is possibly one of the most noble things a person can do just to get a mm-hmm. few things in check because you know I, I read something it's like your will like it's not a gift for you it's a gift for people you know left behind after you it is for sure it, yeah My and just have that yeah. and oh gosh when he died there was absolutely nothing that was in order <laughs> there was yeah. absolutely nothing and he was that was in order and it made it particularly challenging because he had children from two different marriages and so when you die without a will in texas that gets handled differently than okay. if you didn't have children from different marriages certainly different than how people thought it would yeah, be handled so or expected what, it to be what handled. happens in that case when you die in texas without a will is your children, your children from your first marriage inherit 50% of everything and your widow inherits 50% of everything else. Mm. Your children from that widow don't get anything. That's not what most people want. (laughs) Yeah. It's certainly not what even my mom wanted. You know, she inherited half of something that she felt like didn't really, shouldn't even belong to her. Yeah. And so it became a big, a big problem for the family. And it was frustrating too, because my grandfather had had cancer for like 15 years and he was not young. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, man, and you do, you, yeah. you've been sick. <laughs> you could have done this. You really could have done this. And what, well, it made the, the grieving sick, process more difficult too. It made the grieving mm. process more difficult because, you know, now you're worried about, you got to deal with the stuff is, is, you know, is grandpa's widow going to keep the house? Like, how does that work? Yeah. They're just all these big all question marks. Stuff? Yeah. All these big question marks yeah, over everything. And, and as you said, for your mom, like she's now got this, this money and all this stuff of kind of, she didn't ask for all of this and kind of now and nothing like a bit of money to ruin a family sometimes in a real time of need it is it's horrifying i'm sure as you guys know yeah the horror stories that you hear of money fight people families fighting over money and estate and you just you do you almost curse the person who died you think for god's sake why did you not just even scrap it on a bit of paper somewhere i don't know and just get it down i would say it's the rare exception that people don't fight you know it's not always like a relationship ruining fight um it's not always i'm never going to talk to you again type fight it gets tense though but there's never i've never seen but maybe like a couple times complete cooperation and you know completely all rosy it's all fine those that was when it was an only child yeah yeah when (laughs) an orphaned only child (laughs) right when someone dies without having done that work the problem that it creates for the people who are recipients of not just the money um, but those people that are close is that they've got to not only make decisions about accounts and this and that but they're not able to be guided by the legacy and the intangible outcomes that this Mm -hmm. deceased person wanted to have happen yeah right so then all of the tense fighting becomes about things that are you are tools to build create or further a legacy but you're doing that without the guiding star of what is that legacy in the first place so then the question well this is what mom would have wanted right because some of these decisions are very easy change that account from her name to my name that's easy right it can't stay in her name but how do you not even just how do you divide it like what do you go do with the investment what do you spend this money on that, exactly. that mom gave um what do you do with the house do you go move in with your kids into the house or do you sell the house 
What do you do? Do you give the house to charity that mom right. always volunteers? Yeah, you yeah. essentially drop these people in the middle of the woods with no map. Yeah, and so people like the gift, the gift that we have while we're alive is to not only write the will, right? And say this account's gonna go here, but write out the legacy plan. What do I really want people to think of me? What do I want people to remember as important to me? And and that way, then the recipients of our wealth and the people who have to create that legacy for us and carry it on aren't doing it without a guide at all. Because what you've done is you've created a legacy for your mom. And it's a she might not even like it for all I know. She might not even like it. (laughs) You know, she might think it's it's arrogant and (laughs) pompous and thinks, shut the hell up, Amber. Stop talking about me. But I'm just, I'm just telling everyone about my business. Yeah. She's like, God, can you do you mind? Like I'm just I'm just lost in the dark. Exactly. And as, as you were talking there, it really yeah. made me think about there's a gentleman called Rabbi Steve Leader. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but he would be great on here to talk to you about this whole stuff. He talk he his his whole thing is about ethical wills. And he's like, Yeah, okay, you can do your will and do your estate and do your money, but what is your ethical will? What do you want to leave yeah. to guide your loved ones behind of your legacy and your honor? How do you want your send-off to be? How do you want your funeral to be? What life lessons do you want to actually leave your people behind? Because after yes. a while, things like houses and money and estate, yeah, okay, great. You can live in mum's lovely family home house or, you know, you've got a big old payout and you can go on that big old family holiday. But there's still nothing left from them for you to actually hold on to for the rest of your life something written down yeah. a life lesson even if it's something like crazy like a recipe i know people who hold onto those recipes like their life depends on it and they would swap that money out for, for that recipe any day because that is their closest yeah. bond. The assets don't matter sometimes at the end of the day it's I, and it's I these saw, things they totally don't <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were homeless, yeah. Where, yeah, where, where somebody there was a woman like that who would like never share her recipe with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, you know, over my dead body, blah blah blah. You're not getting this <laughs> recipe. You know, and so, so the family chiseled it onto the back of the tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally over oh, my dead body, and just oh. you know, for you know, grandma's brownie recipe or whatever it was but i think there's a grief process that happens it seems to me with any loss of relationship the person doesn't have to die it it could be a, a significant breakup of a romantic relationship or with somebody who retires i noticed mm-hmm. that there is and it's certainly not as significant as, as when somebody passes away but it seems like people go through if they got fired from a job they go through a grief process or if they totally. separate from somebody they go or divorce they go through a grief process yeah absolutely i think that's one of the biggest things that i've done. and when you said they're kind of like it's not as significant as like the death of a person like i think it's all relative isn't it to 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 me yes like i i remember i was made redundant from my job in 2020 during the pandemic i used to work for an airline and it was just all chaos and i was made redundant and i remember the feeling of grief that came back to me like that fresh raw grief and I went oh shit I'm grieving for this job because I really liked it and I really enjoyed it and I now don't have it anymore and I can't get it back and that really flipped the script for me because I was so very much tunnel vision of grief is just tied to death and death of a person and actually realizing that is so small-minded and that grief is not solely tied to death the grief that people go through when yeah when they lose a relationship of grieving for somebody grieving for somebody that is still alive yeah grieving for somebody that is still Mm -hmm. alive who you no longer have a relationship with but you spent a very maybe long time with each other or we just really you know a lot of your core memories or even how you've shaped as a person is through that person but you now no longer speak that is agony pure agony like your 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 strangers you've know lovers who are now strangers or best friends for 20 years who are now strangers that is agony and i've lived both the death and the living agony and i'm like it feels very much the same. <laughs> it feels very much the same. Yeah. But unfortunately, societally, 
we don't give as much grace for people who do go through experiences of grief, like a loss of a friendship, a relationship, a job, a, um, a way of life. I think the pandemic and us all being, you know, locked locked down. Um, a lot of us grieved for our everyday life of being able to go to our office, our job, go out for our morning coffee. Like it's, it sounds really weird when you say like, I'm grieving for my morning coffee, but it's deeper than that. You're grieving for your rituals, for your, yeah. for your freedom. Like, I felt like we were grieving for our freedom. I was climbing up the walls and I was like, I just want to get out of here. I was like just missing the sunshine and getting out and about. And so I don't, I, I don't yeah. think it's a different process for people. I just think it needs to be acknowledged for people and that's what I'm really hoping to try and do in my podcast I'm really trying to for the the future of the show is to be sharing stories and meeting people where they've experienced grief and loss not just through death and I think it's through that of us actually holding our hands up and saying yeah no okay I did break up with my boyfriend and it really hurt and I am still grieving for it only then will it become an acceptance for people to go yeah, I'm grieving and it's not just tied to death and I'm not going to feel silly for saying that either. Yeah, I really, really love what you're doing. I think that it requires conscious decision-making to get the most out of the life that we're living and particularly in enduring stages of grief. We have in this culture, uh, the Western culture that, you know, our countries share, I think we have an encouragement of a victim mentality, generally mm. speaking. We tell people a lot of things that have gone wrong in your life are things mm. that happened to you, right? And you're a victim and you couldn't have changed it and you can't overcome it and you'll it'll never leave you. Yeah. And we allow people to wallow in their own self-pity and say, no, it's okay. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to have anxiety. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to eat that tub of ice cream on a Friday night you know, and ignore your phone and not talk to anyone <laughs> that you love. It's okay. Well, grief is one of those things that, that really does happen to you, right? And it, it is one of those things that you can never wash away. You, mm -hmm. you will always be someone who lost her mother. That's, that's the reality. And it will never not hurt. And I don't think that the choices are between, you know, moving on from it, forgetting it, or wallowing in self-pity. Those aren't the only two choices. And you've found that we can continue to get the most out of life while still carrying the burden that will never go away. And mm -hmm. I think that if we applied that mindset to other areas where we might want to be encouraged by society to adopt a victim mentality, we'd be better off for it. So you know what? This anxiety that I have, it actually might never go away. It won't always feel like it does right now when it's three o'clock and I'm staring at my wall and can't sleep and I'm mm. my stomach's churning. It won't always feel like it does right this moment, but it will always be with me. Maybe this depression is not ever going to truly, truly go away. It might just sit on my shoulder and be a little bit quieter than it was mm. in the past. Um, and I think that that's grief too. It's never yeah. going to go away. It'll always be with you. Yeah. But you don't have to let it win either. Exactly. Words out of my mouth there. You don't have to let it win every time. And it's acceptance. I think that's what, uh, the biggest decision you will ever probably have to make in grief is accepting. Accepting that this thing is with you for life. Accepting that, yes, your person has gone and is never coming back. You know the the state of delusion and grief is real, and you can be in that. You can go in and out of it. I feel like I do sometimes. Of like, God, is she really actually dead. But at my core, I have accepted yeah. that she has died, and I know viscerally that she has died. And accepting that victimhood is so so interesting. I find it yeah, and I feel like there's times where we can very much fall into victimhood and grief and wallowing and you know, misery loves company. And that's why sometimes people flock to one another and just in this in this state of misery and it's so very easy to do. But then it's kind of, you know, not wanting to live by a victim of actually going, okay, I I'm I'm survive I've survived. I'm surviving grief. It is. It feels like you are yeah. in a battle every day sometimes with yourself and your mind and your mental well-being and actually going, who am I going to let win today? And sometimes sometimes it's completely out of your control, even with all your might, if you're like, I'm not letting this thing beat me today. But you know what? You tried. You gave it your best. And that's not to say that 
you know, by you giving your best, it's like suppressing your grief or like pocketing it away or not letting emotions come to the surface. Not at all, but not letting it stop you from doing the things that you want to do every single day, being the person that you want to be every single day, shaping the life that you want. Because I just always think when you befriend your grief and people who think you are mad when you say that, like befriending your grief, like, cause they think it's just this nasty thing. When you befriend it, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot less aggressive. And I almost think sometimes for some people, I know for me, it was quite a lot easier to uh, actually almost visualize my grief as like this external thing, like a friend, like a beast, because I would almost talk to it and kind of be like, you're really pissing me off today. And you're really getting on my last nerve. So what are we going to do to stop doing that? (laughs) and it was and you know it's all within it's all within you know right okay if my grief is really irking me what i i can tell nine times out of ten right when i know a bad kind of grief moment is going to be coming up in the change of season if i'm approaching like my mum's death anniversary christmas time i can now acknowledge when these feelings are seeping in and kind of before when i ignore it then it would just become louder and bigger and bigger and bigger until it demanded to be seen. And now I'd just be like, yeah. yeah, come hang, like, come hang. Yeah, I know we're going to feel like shit for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, maybe let's yeah. eat the ice cream for a little bit, but we're going to do it for a bit. But then what we're going to do, we're going to get up on our feet and we're going to go because we've had our moment. Yeah. We've fell apart and we've come back together again. I feel like as, as time goes by, you know, the age old, you know, time is a healer and grief. I don't think it is. You just learn to walk alongside it and you learn to befriend it and you learn to know it's your strengths and your weaknesses with your grief and you befriend it. It doesn't, you know, you grow around the grief um, and it just stays in that little pocket size in your pocket for the rest of your life. And the sooner you acknowledge it, it will be a lot easier to say. (laughs) I I love that, that idea of anthropomorphizing the, the grief, right? I remember talking with someone about um, their anxiety. I said, hey, I got this too. I got the same problem. You got to know that you have a little a little pet demon that <laughs> just lives with you and it's always going to be there. But you can decide like what, how vicious is this demon, right? Yeah. And, if, and if you had a bear as a pet, right? If you had never seen a bear before, you'd think it's a demon. So if you had yeah. a bear that you have to live with, well, what would you do? You know, would you make it go hunt for its own food? Or would you, I'm feeding that thing berries and getting it fat and lazy. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to make this, a, I'm going to tame this beast, right? You yeah. can tame the beast. Yeah, so totally. We, we have tamed beasts throughout our history as mankind. Um, mm. You can tame the beast of anxiety. So I imagine my own as like, the, you know, this ugly little beast, but it, it's kind of a cute little cartoon. Yeah. You know, okay, well, I'm going to feed it a little bit. Cause it's now, if it gets hungry, you know, it might hurt me. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 you almost have to give it a bit of TLC. Cause you think, don't, yeah. don't, don't turn on me. Like, don't turn on me. So like, what do you need? Yeah, what do you want from me? me. I'm the, yeah. I'm, the, I'm yes. a good guy. I'm a but good I'm guy. We're also not hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not hanging yeah. out all day long either. You know? <laughs> You can leave. stay here for you a can't bit. Play fetch with your dog all day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you got to know, like, right. I'm gonna give you a little bit, but I'm leaving. <laughs> you have to acknowledge <laughs> it, and you do. You got to give a little bit, and then you got to go right. Enough now. Okay, I need to get on with my day. Yeah, I yeah. need to. I need to get on. I need to live. I think there's a lot of wisdom of that of sort of putting it and saying, well, this is not me acting this no, way. This your, is the grief coming through me. Yeah. This is the grief expressing itself. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Thank yep. you so much for sharing, Amber. I learned a lot. We don't. I'm not in the grief gang, thankfully. I, I don't want to get initiated anytime soon either. No, um, neither. But I do feel like we connected a lot. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. it's been really Where wonderful. Where can people to talk find today. the work that you do? They can find you can find me on predominantly on Instagram at the Grief Gang Podcast. I'm on also other platforms, Twitter, Facebook, just the Grief Gang Podcast. And you can listen to the show on all major podcast platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Acast by searching the Grief Gang, all in one name. The the gang you never asked to be a part of. Yeah. Thank you, Amber, for Thanks, sharing Amber. with us. Thank you. My first takeaway from our discussion with Amber is a realization that she probably thinks we're the ones with an accent. 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, she probably thinks, you know, from her perspective. But my takeaway was really around deciding to make an acceptance of the grief that that is part of the process. And she made the comment, befriending your grief, bringing that into the process and allowing that to not cause you to overwhelm yourself with negative uh, self-evaluation. My takeaway was what we talked about right at the end, anthropomorphizing your grief or insert any other mental struggle, right? right. Uh, those struggles don't define us any more than grief defined us, defines us. Depression, anxiety, they don't define us. Anthropomorphizing them, kind of creating this little cartoon beast that you're fighting uh, can help separate that struggle from who we are as humans and can help us kind of compartmentalize it and say, you know what, that lives over there. Um, I want to, I want to keep that grief away from me. I want to keep that anxiety away from me, um, but also recognizes that it, it can never go away. So I think it's really healthy. It was something that I was already doing, but not in the way that I, I think I will moving forward after hearing that Amber also does it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm a little less crazy. Just to add one thing, the the thing she mentioned about making the distinction between moving forward versus moving on and making that decision to make that distinction, I thought was really I powerful. I thought that was very, yeah. very, very important. Anyway, I, yeah. I added an extra one. There you go. There's a bonus. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.